Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. If you don't have your Bibles, they'll be on the screen. But I want you today to more than ever believe that God loves you and wants to say something to you. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, whether you're seeking Him, whether you're serving Him, whether you're growing daily, I want today to be a time where you let God speak to you. Because He commanded us in the Bible that we... When we come together, we pay attention to the reading of the Word and its teaching. And let's do that together this morning in James chapter 5, verse 7. The Bible says, Therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Waiting is Part of the Process. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person who's come here today, and I ask you to be our teacher today by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would anoint me to say the things that would honor you and give us ears to hear what you say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So many times I've told you guys in the past I just believe one day there's going to be more of us than them in the room. And all I'm going to have to do is read the scripture, say the title of the sermon, and revival is going to break out. Now, when I say more of us in the room, the us I'm talking about are people who are saved, sanctified, fire baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, been reading their Bible, praying, serving God, loving God, honoring and worshiping God all week long when they got here and were already ready to explode. See, that's four people. See, so right now, we don't outnumber them, y'all. We don't, we don't have it that way yet. But if it ever has it that way, um, you know, wild praise is going to break out. And, and God is going to be exalted. But I don't think that it's going to be prompted by the title of this message. Waiting is part of the process. People don't like process. And people surely don't like waiting. We are a generation that we want what we want. And we want it now, but if you don't hear anything else today, hear the title of this message. Waiting is part of the process. This can alleviate a lot of your stress. It can alleviate a lot of your anxiety. It can get you off my counseling schedule. It can get you off that paid counselor schedule. Uh, let, let me just give, for those of y'all who uh, go through some paid counseling, I want you to know those folk laugh at me and all preachers. Do you know what paid therapists call pastors? The, the, the free guys that people go to before they come see me for real help. But if you, whatever, whatever counseling schedule you're on, if you just grab hold of this title, it might alleviate some of that because it's difficult to wait, but it's necessary. Say necessary. It's difficult. Waiting is part of the process. See, every week I talk to people who tell me how things are going in their lives. And some people are just freaked out. And they're like, I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. And here's what we need to understand. God is in control. You are where you are, and God knows where you are, and there's a purpose for where you are. 
Whether, whether it's your pain, there's a purpose for your pain or your process or, or your perseverance. God has you where he wants you. And there's a reason for it. And you've got to embrace the season that you're in. I've seen so many people in decades of doing ministry that want to just jump out of the season that they're in into a completely different season. Now, every Christmas, I see these signs. Jesus is the reason for what? Listen, that's great, that's cool, that's catchy, it rhymes, but there's a reason for every season. And if you're in a season right now of struggle, if you're in a season of difficulty, if you're in a season of not really sure what's going on, I want you to know, hear me good, God knows where you are, and there's a reason for being where you are. Don't freak out. It's supposed to be this way. Let, let, let's talk about it a little bit. See, most people are truly wishing for things to get better, but they're doing very little to make that happen. Isn't that silly? Wishing things got better, but doing nothing to make things get better. I want us to learn from our text this morning how to live the type of life God wants us to, because when we get involved with what God wants us to be involved with, things are better. Stay, stay focused this morning as we go through this, because I can promise you, we don't even have to take the temperature in this room right now. I can tell you across the world, more people are tired than triumphant. More people are exhausted than encouraged. More people are critical than content. And more people are frustrated than faithful. But the Bible says that we're supposed to live those type of lives on the right, hand, on the right side of those equations. We need to be triumphant, encouraged, content, faithful people. So there's got to be a problem somewhere. When, when, when the wrong thing is happening, there's got to be an impetus for that. It's, there's a cause and effect in life. There's this law of reciprocity. There's this what you put out will come back to you. And if you want better, hear this good. This, this, this is deep. If you want better, do better. That's it. Stop fantasizing for better and do better. Stop hoping for better and do better. Stop believing for better and do better. Too many times I've heard people say, well, Pastor Scott, I'm just waiting on the Lord for my breakthrough. And I, the first thing I think every time I hear this, God's already done enough. Maybe he's waiting on you. Maybe, maybe there's something that you need to put into action. Maybe there's something that you need to put into practice because if you're not living a triumphant, encouraged, content, faithful life, there's a problem somewhere. And I believe part of the solution can be found in this passage. There's a word found in both of the verses that I read in verse 7 and in verse 8. And it's, it's found in both verses, but it's not found in many people's lives. And that word is patient. Say patient. Ooh, people don't have a lot of it. People do not have a lot of it. And, and if, if you have ever said, this kid is on my last nerve, are y'all about to stress me out? Are y'all about to make me blow my top? Yeah, all right. Some of y'all understand what I'm talking about. God has an answer for every problem. But I told you, we're not a patient group of people. We want what we want, and we want it now. How crazy is it? I can remember, by the way, I invented on demand. Just so you know, I invented pay-per-view. I did. In my head, I didn't have the logistics, the resourcing, the distribution, or the money to be made from it. But Gail and I used to lay in bed every night and eat ice cream. Specifically, we used to eat um, this, uh, this raspberry chocolate chip ice cream. 
and we would watch Blockbuster videos. How many of y'all remember Blockbuster videos? Blockbuster video was the bane of my existence. I hated Blockbuster video so bad um, that I, I would wait in the car sometimes and just let her pick out the movie or a set of movies. Because there was just too many options. Anybody felt there was just too much? I can't find anything in here. There's too many choices. But we would lay in bed, and I remember telling her one night as I was laying in bed eating my ice cream, she was laying in bed eating her ice cream, I said, you know, somebody ought to take every movie that was ever made and shove it inside that TV and add a keyboard to it. Let us just type it up, and we just watch movies, check out movies off the TV like we do. The live. I invented on demand. That had never been heard of in the 90s. But we're laying there, invented on demand, watching TV every night, having to work to get it, though. When we had to go to Blockbuster to get a movie to watch, that was effort. Now you got 800 channels. You, you got on demand. You got 75 shows saved on your DVR that you're going to get to. Clear that DVR out. I tell you what, man, if you, if you got a DVR that, that keeps a percentage gauge on it and, and you're, you're, you're over 50%, you're a junkie. Let's just go ahead and we ought to have a recovery ministry for DVR junkies. I'm going to tell you what, now I'm, I'm guilty at times. I have been there with you. I've been watch, binge watched some things. But how cool would it be if, if instead of binge watching television, which so many people are guilty of doing, binge catching up on their shows, watch five shows in a row? What is wrong with America? When's the last time you spent five hours in a row praying? Oh, man. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But we, 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 we're not a patient people. We want what we want. Our society, we've got more technology. We've got more things than we've ever had. We've got more convenience than we've ever had but we're less happy than we've ever been. It's incredible. If you study the psychological reports over the generations that have existed in the history of our country, people were not as depressed 100 years ago as they are now. And they had it worse 200 years ago. Do you know that when you say you're tired of washing clothes, people used to actually wash clothes? I'm not talking about throw them in a machine and let the washer do it. Right, Joyce? Like that. Washing clothes. Hanging clothes out. Uh, and I thank God for HOAs that don't allow a clothesline. I don't need to see your underwear hanging out in my backyard. That's just not, that's just not acceptable. But we, we have so many comforts, but it hasn't helped us in our level of happiness. Oh, it seems like all the bad statistics are on the rise. Divorce statistics on the rise. Teenage suicide statistics on the rise. Drug and alcohol addiction on the rise. Spousal abuse on the rise. Listen, it's time for something else to be on the rise, and that is the children of God who were possessed by His Spirit to rise up and say, I will be and do what He's called me to be and do. But that doesn't happen in a quick fix world because God sent me here to tell you this. This is from God. A lot of the rest of this stuff will be rambling. A lot of this rest of this stuff will be preacherisms. But this is from God. Don't miss it. There is no quick fix. Say it on this side. There is no 
quick fix. Well, tell me, Pastor, how, how do I jump the line? There's no jumping the line in maturing in this life. There's no jumping the line in Christian growth. There is doing what God called us to do. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this. I printed it out so you, you can see it. Didn't I? I thought, yeah, amen. Only a fool looks for good things to come in the future while neglecting the opportunity of sowing good things in the present. Now, it might take you a while to fully digest that and unpack that, but there are a lot of people who are hoping for a better future but not planting anything better now. Your future will look like exactly what you're planning now. Six months from now, you are going to be reaping the harvest of the deeds, the actions, the seed that you have planted now. Six months from now, a year from now, you are going to be walking in the destiny that you played into today. And only a fool looks for good things to come in the future while neglecting the opportunity of sowing good things in the present. Now, he said only a fool. That, that, that's strong speech. I think immature people look this way. Kids look this way. Kids want everything to be better, and they want to get their way all the time while not doing any of the things that would help them in the process. So I want to ask you this question before we really dig into it today. Are you doing anything to ensure that your future looks better than your past? Are, are you doing anything? Are you planting any seeds? Because, listen, here's what most people know. If you plant apples, you'll grow what? If you plant cucumbers, you'll grow what? If you plant nothing, you grow what? The Bible says you reap what you sow. This is a universal truth, and it's believed across the board by all people. Eastern religions call it karma. Karma and, and Christian version aren't exactly the same, but there's this same basis of uh, there's a reaction for what you do. Um, universalists call it putting out into the universe, getting back what you put out into the universe. People in the country say if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. And people in the ghetto will tell you if you don't start none, there won't be none. But it's always this thing. There, there's, there's this, this give and take. There's this put out and it comes back on you. And I really want you today, tonight, this week, for the rest of your life, I want you to begin to look at what is it that you're investing in? What is it that you're planting metaphorically in your life? Are, are, are you putting out good things? If you put out good things long enough and you don't do anything to mess up the crop, good things will come back to you. But if you're putting out the wrong stuff, then we need to make a change. If you're looking for things to get better in your life, but you're not helping someone else's life to get better, guess what? You don't have a guarantee. You have a guarantee from God that you reap what you sow. If you, it, I've had so many people tell me, Pastor Scott, I just wish I had more friends. The Bible says if you want friends, you got to show yourself what? Friendly. If you put out friendship, friendship will come back your way. If you put out peace and joy, peace and joy will come your way. If you put out goodness and morality, goodness and morality will come your way. If you start praying for other people, God will send people around to pray for you. But if you're looking for things to improve and you haven't improved what you're putting out, then you just fit into what Charles Spurgeon was talking about. That's just foolish. So I want you just for a second. I wish we had time, man. I wish this, I should, probably should have preached this on Wednesday night, but I felt God wanted me to say it today. I, I want you to consider just for a moment. 
what kind of actions have you been involved in lately? What, what, what kind of metaphorical seeds have you been planting lately? What, what has been the course of your life? Because here's the reality. If you don't want to have that be your future, you need to change what you're planting. Somebody ought to say amen. The Bible says you reap what you sow. So it's this give and this take, this getting out what you put into it. Uh, the problem is there are people who are frustrated, even in church. People get frustrated coming to church because I have, I've met these people. They're wild. But I've met people who believe they've given more to God than God's given to them. I've had people sit in my office and tell me how they, they, they if, if it wasn't for me, Blah, 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 what even is this? I'm the only person who ever keeps the nursery. I'm the only faithful person. Listen, that is not the kind of service God is looking for. There's a heart issue there. If you think that you've done more for God than he's done for you, I want you to consider the cross of Calvary where Jesus was stripped naked, beaten bloody, and died for your sins. You really got to get this. Your life will not be joyful in Christ until you first settle this issue of who's done the most for whom. Who's done more? Have you done more for God or has God done more for you? You see, once you realize that God has done more for you, once you realize he saved you when he didn't have to, once you realize he died for you when you didn't deserve it, once you realize he's been better to you than you've been to him, you will be able to step into the biblical truth that it's the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And you'll be able to say, he's been too good for me, for me to live my whole life like an idiot. Baby steps, y'all, baby steps. I said earlier, that uh, we need patience, and I want us to look at these two verses and see what the Word has to say about that subject. Listen, I know it's not popular. I know it's not something that, that makes people excited, but it is necessary. The Bible says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, I've told you before, I'll go ahead and say it again. Anytime when you're reading Scripture or literature, and you see the words, therefore or wherefore, you ought to stop and figure out what? What is there for? What does he mean? Therefore, because of everything that he's just said in the previous chapters and verses, he's saying be patient, brethren. Now, as a Bible teaching church, I've given you some principles to kind of understand Scripture at a higher level. And typically, not always, but typically when the Scripture says brethren, we or us, it's talking to what kind of people? Christian people, they and them talking to non-Christians. So if you're a Christian, this passage is for you. God says be patient, and he tells us what to do and how long to do it until the coming of the Lord. That ought to make everybody say ouch. How long, now let me find some Bible geniuses in the room. Based on this scripture, how long do you have to stay patient? That just make you, ought to make you want to just lay down and cry and kick your hands and feet. That's tough. But do you see it in the Bible? Should we do what the Bible tells us to do? Should we obey the God who saved our souls and kept us from hell? He said, be patient until the Lord comes. Whew, he's telling us what to do and he's telling us how long to do it. Now, I want to give you some secular definitions that I pulled out of different dictionaries uh, this week as I was preparing for this to give you for what patience really is, especially in light of a biblical concept. Do you have those on the screen? 
Here's one definition. To persevere calmly and bravely while enduring misfortunes and troubles. So to be patient, according to this definition, you have to have at least two things happening in your life. Can anybody see what they are? Misfortunes and troubles. Woo, aren't you excited? This is awesome. We got misfortune coming. Listen, you don't need me to tell you life can be misfortunate. All you have to do is just look at life. Uh, there, there, anybody ever, ever figured out we're going to have trouble forever? Anybody figured out yet that there's no president in the history of the world that's going to solve all our problems? Anybody figured out it's easier to bash the last guy than to pull for this guy? Uh, we, we, that's why I tell you all every election time. Be more concerned about who sits on the throne in heaven than who sits in the Oval Office in the White House. We, we, we're going to have misfortunes. We're going to have troubles. I, I told you all this. Now, this, this is one thing that was an easy call. This wasn't prophetic. It was common sense. I just knew based on the changing of administrations uh, with, with one party being for uh, oil, and production of oil and another party being against it. I told y'all y'all could kiss that $1.85 gas goodbye. I paid $4.04 this week to fill up with gas. Uh, and, and then I tried to be thankful. I really wasn't. But I tried to say, well, they paid, they're paying $7 in parts of California. Could you imagine if gas goes to $7? I can remember, because I remember buying gas. First time I bought gas was $0.35 cents a gallon. Uh, that's when I had a push mower and a one-gallon metal can with a handle strapped to my handlebar as I pushed my lawnmower around cutting people's grass. But as a driver, I can remember paying a dollar for gas. I remember, how many of y'all remember even in odd days? You can only buy gas on certain days because uh, times were so tough. But I can remember when the racetrack opened, uh, the raceway, either racetrack or raceway, whatever it is, opened up right there on Normandy Boulevard, and they were blowing everybody out because everybody else's gas was like $1.05, and they went to 99 cents, and everybody was trying to get that 99-cent gas. Listen, we're not seeing those days anymore. We're, we're, we're seeing things get worse and worse and worse and worse. But what are you going to do if it gets worse still? I remember when, I, when, when gas went up over a dollar. I remember when gas went up to $2, people started saying, if, if gas ever hits $3 a gallon, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a horse. That didn't happen. I remember people saying if cigarettes ever hit $3 a pack, they'd quit smoking. They didn't do that either. Listen, it's going to get worse. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm trying to help you. If you know that the battle is afoot, you prepare for it. And, and there are some things that we need to do to prepare. And one of them is to persevere calmly and bravely while enduring misfortunes and troubles. That's not easy unless you know who's on your side. That's not easy unless you know how it turns out in the end. Let me, let me see another definition for that, guys. I know i got a couple up there. Able to endure waiting, delay, or provocation without becoming annoyed or upset. Oh, so patient means you, you can't be annoyed and upset or you're not being properly patient. Some of y'all are like, well, I'm just being patient on this ignorant child of mine. Well, I feel you, but that's not being biblically patient. Uh, you're just holding on trying to stay out of prison. But Bible patience involves not being annoyed. 
Now, how can we go through hardship without being annoyed? How can we go through trouble without being annoyed? How can we go through difficulty without being annoyed? I already told you a second ago, because we know who's on our side. Because we know how it finishes in the long run. I think we got one or two more. We got another one up there, guys. To calmly endure, oh, this is a good one. To calmly endure while bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Now, this isn't something I put together. This is copy and paste right out of the dictionary. Patience is to calmly endure while bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Now, Elder Jimmy's out of town right now, but we'll pretend he's here. All the spooky people said, well, he's here in spirit. No, he's just not here. But we can pretend he's here. If he was here, anybody know what I'd be dragging on him for right now? His driving. Now, he says he's getting better at it. Uh, but I, I'm not sure I ought to call him and ask him if, if he is calm, if he's calmly enduring while people are cutting him off in traffic when he's in his big truck carrying a whole load of wood behind him. Uh, how, how many of y'all know driving on Blanding and 103rd can test your patience? Uh, driving anywhere can almost. But what, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, yeah, I, I love this person, the guy that cuts me off and then shoots me to bird. Because I was trying to be holy right then. I was trying not to blow the horn and, 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 and just rattle my own nerve. But there are people out there. How many of y'all know there are people out there that, that will try to aggress you, try to do aggressive things to you? And the Bible says patience, part of patience is enduring the offenses of others. That is not easy to do, but I'm going to tell you what, it is commanded of God that we do it. So how do you act when somebody else messes with you? I've told y'all before, I'll tell you again, I literally for the majority of my life, felt justified in fighting. I got into a lot of fights in my life, and I always felt like it was the other person's fault. Always. I always felt like it was the other person's fault, and I had that same excuse that so many people have today. Well, they started it, so I finished it. It, it wouldn't have went that way if they had not done X, Y, and Z. And literally, it was, in, at least in my mind, it was always that way. There was a provocation that caused me to... to Go, go crazy on them. How many of y'all know some, some of your kids will grow up to, to do the bad things that y'all did? My mama cursed me when I was little. She said, she's sitting right there. She said, I hope when you grow up, you have 35 children and they're all just as horrible as you are. Well, I didn't have 35 children, thank God, because I'd have sent 32 of them back at least. Some of y'all want to, I sent them to the Harris family. They adopt anybody. But sometimes your kids will mimic that bad behavior you have. Uh, I, I was just thankful that Jake was able to graduate from high school because uh, he, almost, <laughs> he almost got, I, I've told my kids, you get kicked out of high school. I'm not, I'm not private schooling you. I'm just getting you a job at McDonald's. That's it. It's your job to get through school. But one, one time they had a child. They were all way, halfway into their year, whatever year it was in, somewhere in, you know, uh, junior high school or high school, uh, they were still standing up doing the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, this one kid comes in, and uh, he, sit, he sat 
next to Jake, uh, both on the back row. Got to tell you something about them, but nothing against back row people. <laughs> Figure it out. And this kid wouldn't stand up to do the pledge. Well, Jake has always had this extreme desire to be in the military. He's always valued himself as a patriot. Um, he's, al he's always, you know, wanted to do what he's doing now as a United States Marine. And so he looked at that kid and he said, you better stand up for the pledge. He said, this country ain't worth standing up for. He said, besides, I'm Muslim. Jake said, I don't care what you are. You stand up for the pledge in this class. He said, no, I'm not. He said, I bet you stand up tomorrow. Let me see you. And the next day, the kid didn't stand up. Now, I don't even know why who invented these desks. Anybody y'all remember the desk where the chair and, the, and the, the little desk part were all glued together, welded together? Can't get in and out of that thing easy. So this kid did not stand up for the pledge. And Jake looked at him and said, stand up for the pledge. And he rocked his chair back. And he leaned back in the desk, which gave Jake in his mind a perfect angle. He just grabbed the whole desk, turned it over, dumped the kid on his head inside the desk. Kid ended up having to go to the clinic. Jake could have got expelled for a hate crime. Um, but in his mind, which he inherited probably from his mother, He deserved it. Dad, he deserved it. He literally thought that that kid provoked him to dump him upside down, almost break this kid's neck inside a desk that the kid couldn't get out of. Um, and we don't know if the kid ever stood for the pledge because they moved him at his parents' request to a class without a crazy person in it. But in Jake's mind, and... And I can remember so vividly in my own mind. And maybe you feel sometimes like, well, they started it. it. I wouldn't have said that if they hadn't have done this. It wouldn't have went there if they hadn't pushed me. They pushed my buttons. They got under my skin. Listen, when you are blaming all these other people for the fault, I want you to remember what I've told you before. It is not the first offense that starts a fight. It is just not. It's not the first offense that starts a fight. If Melvin walked up here and slapped me in my face, we would not be fighting. Well, we probably would be, but for the purpose of this scenario, <laughs> that would not make for a fight. That would make for an extremely rude church member who just walked up and hit his pastor in the face. It's not the first punch that starts a fight. Now, if I hit him back, then we're fighting. So for all y'all, they started and I finished it, people. No, don't, don't think because someone pushed your buttons, aggressed you, did something wrong. They offended you. They injured you. They, they hurt your feelings. That doesn't give you a right to go off. God said we have to stay patient. And it's never the first blow that starts a fight. It's the second. And I want us to be the kind of people that calmly endure while bearing the offenses and the injuries of others. So using any of those definitions, we really can't say that we're being biblically patient while we're doing these two things. Listen, complaining or worrying. Complaining or worrying. I wish I had time and honesty in the room today where I could just divide the room up equally. I, I like to get all the complainers over here, all the worriers over here, and all the people that think they don't complain and don't worry could just sit on that step right there. 
But we don't have the time or the honesty for that, but you need to examine yourself. The Scripture says examine yourself. Have you been enduring patiently or have you been complaining about it? Have you been enduring patiently or have you been worrying about it? Listen to what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. How many of y'all know almost anybody can start something? Very few people will finish something. Almost anybody can start out on their road to Christianity. Uh, pe- people will say it about this church. You can say it about any church. It's true of every church. If everybody who had ever been here showed up at the same time, there wouldn't be room for them. Because so many people start something, but they don't finish something. Why? Because they lack biblical patience. They let offense drive them away from doing what they should be doing. They let their hurt drive them away from doing what they, they let their pride drive them away. It says patience is better than pride. The Bible also says in the book of Proverbs that only by pride cometh contention. Nancy and I cannot have a, a confrontation. And we've never had a, a verbal confrontation or even a physical confrontation. Um, she would need to hope her husband was around for that, but uh, it wouldn't happen. It, it, we've never had any type of confrontation because the Bible says only by pride cometh confrontation or conflict. Now, so don't, don't think that it's the other person's fault because if I'm being proud and arrogant toward her, but she chooses not to be proud and arrogant back, then we're not fighting. You have to have pride, you have to have an excessive amount of pride that pushes you beyond obeying what God has told us to do, and patience is better than pride. Now, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I believe, even in this room right now, there's more pride than patience. I believe in your chair. There's more pride than patience. And sadly, I know for sure Leaning on this pulpit, there has been more pride than patience. Because patience does not come to us naturally. You're born with pride. Pride pride is part of the fallen state of man. Everybody has a measure of pride. Patience is a learned behavior, and we need to learn it. We've got to learn that it's important how you finish. We've got to learn that we've got to stay the course. If the, The Bible says whatever can be shaken will be shaken. If you can be rattled... The devil's going to keep rattling you. There are some things in my life that are just a non-issue to me. There are things in my life. I don't have this whole, you know, I'm fighting every day to stay delivered from certain things. There is true deliverance where you don't have to fight for it anymore. There is nothing about drugs that lures me. Although I used to do drugs every day. Why, don't, why doesn't that appeal to me now? Because I've been delivered from it. I, I have no draw to it. I have no pull to it. And, and the devil doesn't even try to mess with me about drugs. You know why? He knows it's a losing battle. He knows it's a losing battle. There's nothing in me that would ever cause me to steal a dime of God's tithe. Ever. You say, why do you call it stealing the tithe? Because that's what God calls it. And it's not a temptation to me. Some people come into a big lump sum of money, and they're like, oh, I don't know if I should tithe on that. That, That's a lot of money. You you wrestle with that. I don't wrestle with it because the devil knows that's a zero-sum game for him. 
There, there's, there's nothing he can pull on me. There's no way he can tempt me to do that. You need to get to the place in your life where some of the things you used to struggle with, you can just boldly look at the devil and say, you better try that trick on somebody else because I've already learned beyond that. And I hope you've learned beyond some of your previous faults. I hope you've learned beyond some of the things that you've struggled with. Now, the Bible talks a lot about concepts like patience, endurance, being steadfast, being faithful. But we live in a society uh, of people who, if it doesn't get better overnight, they're ready to give up. Uh, if, if it doesn't work immediately, they're just ready to give up. But the word of the Lord says, be patient. Say, be patient. There's an automatic cry from the heart. If you've ever had to be patient for anything, if you've ever had to wait on something for a really long time, if you've ever had to deal with something for an extreme amount of time and not see it get better, there, there, there's an automatic default switch in the, bio, in, in the human body, in the mind, that causes anxiety, depression, causes difficulty. Uh, the Bible says it this way, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you've been wanting something for a really long time and you haven't achieved it, then in the natural, that's going to cause you to feel depressed. That's going to cause you to feel like it's never going to happen. That's going to give you that how long, oh Lord, must I tarry spirit. But the Bible already showed us in our opening text, how long do we have to be patient until the Lord comes back? So we know what to do. Be patient. We know how long to do it until Jesus comes back. And then God gives us this example of a farmer to teach us. Put verse 7 on the screen. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently, there's that word again, for it until it receives two things. Say two things. Until it receives the early and the latter rain. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the former and the latter rain. So just how he does it, because God's using this agricultural analogy because he was talking to people who understood agriculture. We aren't farmers in this day and age. My mom grew up as a farmer. Her, all her family were farmers, but I don't know a lot of farmers in, in our area, but we can imagine, we can use our logic in our brain to, to see this as an example that just like the farmer waits for it, we need to wait for it. We need to wait for the increase and have long patience. Two things most of us aren't good at, waiting and having long patience. Where, where it says in this verse, waiting patiently, um, one translation says having long patience for it. The farmer's able to wait with long patience because he has faith in the law of the harvest. He's been there and he's seen it. He, he knows that uh, if he does his job and waits on God to do his job, that things are going to work out. He knows you reap what you sow. He knows that it's just a matter of time. If you keep doing the right thing long enough, good things will happen. Here's what the farmer doesn't do. The farmer doesn't go out and buy a piece of land and then look for the harvest to be popped up. No, he goes out and buys a piece of land covered in roots, sticks, stumps, and rocks. And he knows, I got a lot of work to do before I'm ever going to make a dime off this piece of land. 
And then so he has to go buy a bunch of equipment. He has to go buy, buy a tractor. He has to go buy a, a plow. He has to go buy a disc. He, 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 has to, he, has to tur- he has to till the land. He has to plow the land. He has to remove the stumps, the rocks, the roots. He, he's got to put all this work into it. He doesn't, the day after he turns the land under, he doesn't look out the next morning and say, mm, no corn, I quit. He hasn't even planted corn seed yet. He knows there's not going to be any corn there yet. Some of y'all are looking for harvest that you haven't even planted yet. It doesn't work that way. God made a promise to us. He said there will always be seed time and harvest as long as the earth remains. So we've got to learn from the farmer. It's not just because you bought the land that automatically corn is going to pop up. It's not just because you worked the land that automatically corn is going to pop up. Waiting is part of the process in farming and in life. He knows if he stays with it, he's got a good chance of good things happening. He, he knows that he's got to follow with what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. One, one version says, don't ever get tired of doing the right thing, because when your time is right, your harvest will come in. See, most of us aren't good at waiting for our harvest, and we give up in the process. And if the farmer were to ever give up, if he gave up because the first day after he bought the land, he didn't see corn pop up, he'd never see corn pop up. If he gave up after he tilled the land and he didn't see corn pop up, he'd never see corn pop up because he still hasn't planted the seed. Waiting is part of the process. So I came here to tell you this, and I'm going to get out of your way. Be patient and wait. The Bible tells us to be like the farmer. If you're doing the right things, have faith in the law of the harvest. If you're doing right, right is going to come back. If you're giving, giving is going to come your way. If you're loving, love is going to come your way. If you're faithful, faithfulness is going to come your way. The Bible teaches that they to sow to the wind will reap the whirlwind. If you're out there doing crazy stuff, Crazy stuff's going to come back to you. Here's, here's the thing about sowing and reaping, and the farmer understands this, and Christians need to understand this too. You always reap what you sow. If you plant cucumbers, you will not grow zucchini. It's two different things, right? I don't eat vegetables. You've you got to understand, if you plant a little, the Bible says you'll get a little back. If, if you give a little, you get a little back. If you give a lot, you get a lot back. But you always reap what you sow. And hear this. You always reap in accordance to how you sow. You get to decide in this life how much of everything you get. Jack Hayford wrote a great book. You ought to read it. It's a little short booklet, easy to read. It's called The Key to Everything is Giving. Most people won't read that. Most preachers won't preach about giving because church folk hate to hear about giving. But he's not just talking about money. He's talking about everything. Joy, peace, friendship, kindness, things that we need as human beings and children of God. The key to everything is giving because you reap what you sow and you reap in accordance to how much you sow. So the farmer, he sows. And then he waits. So my message to you today is start doing the right things and then wait patiently. Wait patiently on the process. Stop worrying and, stop, and start watching. 
Stop worrying about how life is going right now. Plant some good seed and have faith to know that you have an opportunity for a harvest. Because every day is a chance for a harvest in your life. But you got to have what, what this verse calls the early rain and the latter rain. Now, there's a lot of confusion about early rain and latter rain in the Bible. Many ministries have titled themselves latter rain ministries. And they probably have uh, a, a, a skewed view of what this really is talking about. But there are five books in the Old Testament that teach this early and latter rain principle. And here in the book of James, one book in the New Testament that teach about early and latter rain. And here's what I want you to know. Early rain fell during planting season. It watered it in good when when it was first planted. And latter rain fell in harvest season. This is talking about the ground in Palestine. And it, it wasn't watered like the ground in Jerusalem by, by a river. It, it, needed, it was very dependent on rain. And it needed rain in the planting time so it could start to grow. And it needed more rain in the harvest time so it could blossom fully. And I want to tell you something real quick. Just as an analogy... Not as theology, but as an analogy, I want you to think of the former rain as the blessings God gave you when you first got saved. That was when you were first planted. That's, that's the early rain. I hope that you've received the early rain. If you're here and you're not saved, then you haven't received the early rain. And you need to get salvation. You need to have early rain. Now, if you are saved, you also need the latter rain. Because how many of y'all know life can get tough? Life can get dry. Some of y'all are saved for sure. God planted you in his kingdom, and he began to pour blessing out on you. Come on, Victor. He began to give you what, what we look at as early rain. But then life got dry. You used to be super excited for God. You used to be fired up for God. You used to be saved and know it. And that early rain was sure in your life. You can remember how great it felt. But you let the hardship of life dry you out. So you need to have the early rain and that latter rain, that rain that comes along later in your process to help you blossom. Some of you never got the early rain. Some of you have never had that seed that was planted in you spring forth into eternal life. And I want you to know the Bible says you must be born again. If you're here and you've never been saved, then none of the principles of the Bible are going to make great sense to you because the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. You've got to be saved to get most of what is being talked about in this book. And if you're here and you're not saved, I want you to ask Jesus to save you. And let God pour out that early rain on you. Oh, it's a great time. Talk to anybody who's really saved about what life was like when they first got saved. They'll let you know blessings were flowing. God was so real and so relevant in their life. They were just, just basking in that former rain. If you're not saved, I want you to get saved today. If you're here and you are saved, I want you to ask God for latter rain. Right now, rain. Rain that will help you get through this season and all the way to harvest without dying on the stalk. Rain that will water you and help you blossom. Rain that will help you bloom. Look at verse 8 and we're done. 
You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Here we come back to patient again. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts. The way you strengthen your heart as a believer is you take what this Bible says is food for your spirit, which is the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Start doing what it tells you to do. The Bible says you're blessed in your doing. Start adding good seed to your life and be patient. The Lord's coming is near. And this is so cool to me, and I'm done. It says, because the Lord's coming is near. It told us we have to wait until how long? Until he comes back. But we have this promise. His coming is near. Some of you feel like you've been waiting forever. You haven't been waiting forever. But waiting's almost over. I believe that. With everything in me, I believe that. I believe the Lord is going to come back soon. I believe this Bible is true. And Jesus said that he was going away, but that he would come back to receive us to himself, that where he is, there we may be also. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Let me tell you something. If you're saved and there's been any form of rain in your life, if, if, if God planted a seed in you and watered it and it took root, knowing that he's coming back ought to water your flower enough to keep you blooming. Knowing that he's on his way ought to keep you going strong. Knowing that trouble don't last always. That soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Knowing that one day God is going to send his son back for people who love him. See, some of you have put in the time and the work and never seen a harvest in your life. No true joy, no true hope, no true relationship with the Lord. Church and salvation are two different things. Religion and Christianity are two different things. And before you leave this place today, I want you to make sure that you're sure that you're born again. Because if all you have is religion and church, that'll just make you bitter. But God will make you better. Some of you received early rain, but your ground is so dry right now, you know you need God to rain on you. You know you need God to water your plant. The love that you have for Him needs to be watered so it'll be stronger. The love that you have for people needs to be watered so it'll be stronger. The love you have for patience and for continuing and being all that God wants you to be. You need that latter rain. And today I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to fill you with His Spirit. And send rain your way. Strengthen you for your journey. Waiting is part of the process. You got to do the right thing. You got to wait. And you got to ask God to send rain. That's all the farmer knows. That's all the farmer knows about harvest. You got you to you treat the ground and the seed the right way. Then you got to wait. And you got to ask God to send rain so it can grow. You don't have to fight this life on your own. Some of you act like you're going through life on your own when God is there wanting to help you. In Revelation 3.20 is a verse that so many churches use during their, their gospel invitation time. When really it's not a call for salvation. When Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. That's a message to the church. That's a message to Christians. So many Christians have Jesus on the outside knocking, saying, let me back in. He'll bring more meaning to your life. He'll give you strength for your journey. He'll give you grace for your race. 
And every time you need it, he'll give you more rain when you get dry. Don't go through another day, Christian, having a lifeless Christianity. If you're saved and you know it, be, as, be at least wise enough to admit you need latter rain. You need God to fall on you again. The hymn, the, the hymn writer said, revive us again. That's what we need. We need the former rain and the latter rain. I don't know which one you need this morning. But if you're not saved, you don't have to walk this aisle. And you don't have to shake my hand. The Bible says if you'll search for him with your whole heart, that you can find him. And if you want to be saved, all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. Believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You can lay hold of Jesus today just by believing that he lived, died, was buried, and rose again. And if you are saved, you need to ask God, rain on you. We need to see the rain on God's people. Vitality. If you've ever watched flowers blooming in the spring, we, we, they, they used to say April showers bring what? It's always that way. I want to see every one of us blossom for the Lord. I want to see us live to our fullest potential for God. We got to do the right thing. We got to be patient. We got to work. We got to wait. And we got to ask God to send the rain. Whatever you need from God today, He's just a prayer away. I continue to believe that everyone in this room is only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. Because God said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave this place today clean in the Lord, ready. For his reign. You can leave this place today encouraged. Or you can leave the same way you came in. The choice is yours. God has a former reign and a latter reign. And he said if you ask for it, you can receive it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the seed that took root in my life 40 years ago. I've been through many times of dryness, and you've sent your rain. God, we ask you to send your rain again. God, I pray for every real Christian in this room that's struggling in their walk and their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom to cry out for your rain, that you would shower them with blessings, God. Give them an awareness that you've been better to them than they've been to you. Give us a glimpse of your glory, God, and help us to blossom and flower for you and to exalt you in the earth. God, for every person in this room who's not truly saved, God, I pray that you would let them even know that now, that what they have is not biblical salvation. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. You said that no one can come unless you draw them. God, I pray that you draw every unsaved person to true salvation today. And God, for those who are saved, I pray you'd rain on us. And let us blossom for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.